notes and fill in the blanks and that kind of stuff. At the very top is uh, two fill in the blanks that I don't have the answers for. Only you can answer them. Okay. And the first thing I want you to do in that first blank is I just want you to take two seconds and write down the name of the person that is the spiritual giant in your life. The person that has impacted you most uh, for becoming like Jesus, uh, maybe the person that led you to Christ, maybe the person now that's discipling you, whatever the case may be. Write down that person's name real quick. All right. Thousand one, thousand two, thousand three, four, five. All right. And the second space provided. What I want you to do is I want you to write down the name of someone that God has put in your life who is an unchurched person. Someone that has not accepted Christ, is not a believer. And I want you to write down their name in that second blank as we're thankful for that person that God has put into our life as well. All right. So take another five seconds and write down that person's name. Uh, if you are someone that's here today and perhaps you are uh, have not given your life to Christ, you're still checking out this whole thing. Um, you can still in that fill in that first blank as far as maybe the person that invited you here. Uh, but in that second blank, just write down someone that you're thankful for that God has put in your life. All right. Everybody got that? Awesome. We're going to open up with a word of prayer and I'm just going to. Let you pray silently for about 10 seconds and just thank God for those people. One, the person that influenced you the most in your walk with Christ. And then thank God also for bringing that other person into your life and just pray for them that God might open their heart. That in 2016 or let's say between now and next Thanksgiving, that person is sitting right next to you in a seat next to you, either searching or figuring out what this church thing, what Jesus is all about. Or perhaps as a born again Christian sitting next to you, worshiping God with you. All right. So let's just take a few moments and pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning to worship you and to praise you together. We thank you for your word that we get to open up and share from together as well. Um, But Father, we look back and we know that you're the most influential person in our life when it comes to us coming to know you. We get that. But Father, you use people within our life to draw us close to you and to share your word with us. And we are so grateful to you for putting those people in our life whether it be parents or grandparents or an aunt and uncle or maybe a friend at school or a neighbor that somebody just said, you know what, I got to introduce you to my friend Jesus and help you understand who he is and why you two ought to know him. And we just we thank you, Father, for those people that were bold enough to share with us. And Father, at the same time, we look ahead to next year and we pray, Father, for that person that people have put down on that second spot that you would open doors and open hearts And open our mouths to be able to share with those people what it means to follow you. And what it means that you were gracious enough to send your only son to die on the cross for us. That we might be able to be saved and relieved of the responsibility of our sin because Jesus paid for it. And Father, I pray that you would answer those prayers and that this time next year we might double in size. Because everybody has just had that one person that you've laid on their heart and that you're working on their heart. And that we've been bold enough to open our mouths to share with them the good news of the gospel. Father, be with us during this time. Bless it. And may we just have a great morning of worshiping you and opening your word and sharing together. It's in Jesus name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. I like that front row. 
I pay him to be there. All right. Um, this is uh, Abraham Lincoln wrote this 152 years ago. The year that is drawing toward the, its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. Others have been added, which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fa- cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart, which is habitually insensible to the ever watchful providence of almighty God. It was at that time and with that speech and John Lancer emailed that to me. Thank you, John. Earlier this week that Abraham Lincoln established that the last Thursday of the month would be considered Thanksgiving from that point on. And we had a president at that time, 152 years ago, that absolutely believed in and wanted everyone to stop and just enjoy and remember the bounty that God has blessed us with and granted us with to be in this country. Now, how many of you are thankful this Thanksgiving season, this Thanksgiving week to be living in and a part of this great American country? All right. Yeah. And uh, when I think about our country and think, uh, you know, I woke up this morning, I thought, you know, I slept well last night. I did. And most nights, unless I'm not feeling well, I really sleep pretty comfortably. I feel confident when I go to bed at night that unless Jesus comes again, probably going to wake up the next morning. And I'm still in this country. I feel like I have the ability to find a job and to work and to earn a living to provide for my family. I feel like our country, this place that we have that God has blessed us with and that put in the vision of people's minds to come to this country is a place that if everyone else in the world said, you know what, we're not going to have anything to do with America anymore. You're just on your own that we can do it. We can grow food, right? We can uh, raise animals. We can build houses. We have natural resources. It may not be uh, as plentiful as we have being able to trade with other countries, but we could make a go of it, couldn't we? We've been giving a very fruitful, productive land and place in which to live and work and breathe and to raise family and live our years on earth and join the creation that God has given us. Right. Agree. Sure. Yeah. Amen to that. Absolutely. But how many people take for granted this freedom that we truly have? How Many times or how much has our country taken for granted that we do live in a free country with plenty of bounty and productive land to live in that we have really turned our nose and head away from the one who gave it to us. Right. As we read from Abraham Lincoln, he said, we've given this great country. It's growing. It's being productive. All these great things. We just need to pause to say thank you to God. Because he's the one that's given it to us. He goes on later in his speech to say, in spite of our sinfulness, in spite of the consequences, in spite of the horrible things we've had to live through because of our own sin, we still need to pause and give thanks to God. Right. Well, we're going to be in Mark chapter 12 today. And in Mark chapter 12, we're going to look at a parable. And uh, Jeremy Lancer, uh, I'm sorry, not Jeremy Lancer. His son, Corbin Lancer, uh, shared with us from this parable that's in Mark chapter 12 about a month ago. And I wanted to go and visit it again because it has come up uh, in the place that we are in the book of Mark in our series that we've been looking at all this year through the book of Mark. And if you remember, we're in the final weeks of Jesus life. Jesus is heading has been going in and out of Jerusalem. Right. And in Jerusalem, it is where he will be 
This is just to wake you up, get you going. All right. Everybody good. All right. And he's been going in and out of Jerusalem with his disciples. Um, people are coming in droves to Jerusalem for what celebration? Passover, right? So people have been coming in and there are just people everywhere, shoulder to shoulder, people wherever they go. And uh, we've been in this series called The Exit Strategy, and we're looking at Jesus' exit strategy as he prepares to ascend to be with the Father. And we've seen fig trees and we've seen him going face to face with the Pharisees and the Sadducees as the enemy has entered the picture. And so now we have this time in Jesus' teaching as, again, he's going into Jerusalem and he's going to, again, confront these Pharisees. And we're going to see what he has to say in uh, Mark chapter 12. And we'll start in verse 1. Mark chapter 12, verse 1 reads like this. And he began to speak to them in parables. This is Jesus, obviously, speaking to them. And a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, right, Um, that Jesus uh, uses to teach them with. A man planted a vineyard. And put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty handed. Again, he sent them to them another servant. And they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. So I want to look at a couple of different aspects of this parable. And first of all, I want to look at the fact that um, God has granted the Israelite people. He's granted his nation, his chosen people, a fully planted vineyard. Right. A fully planted vineyard. Notice that it says he began to speak to them. A man planted a vineyard. Right. So he planted the vineyard. He didn't just give them land and say, here you go. Make a good run of it. I know it's a little, you know, desert rocks, all that kind of stuff. Sorry about that. It'll take some time. But go ahead. Here's some land for you to have. No, in fact, if we look at Numbers chapter 13, um, Moses had led the Israelite people in the Exodus away from Egypt. Right. Remember that story, Charlton Heston and all that. We see it every Easter. Right. And uh, he brought them through the desert and they were about to go into the promised land. And he sent um, spies. Moses spent how many spies? Twelve. Right. And um, one for each tribe of Israel. And he sent them into the promised land of Canaan. You remember the song? Twelve men went to spy on Canaan. Ten were bad and two were good. Right. When they see when they got to Canaan, nobody else knows the song, just me, right? You're just too ashamed to sing it with me, aren't you? Okay. And so they went into the promised land and Joshua and Caleb came back saying how great it was. But you remember the part of the story where it said that they went in and they got a cluster of grapes, one cluster of grapes. All right. One. And it was so big and so bountiful that they had to put it on a pole and two men had to carry it on their shoulders back to the Israelites. One cluster of grapes. 
that was their evidence of how bountiful this land was that God was giving to them as their inheritance. So when he said to Abraham, I'm going to take you out of this land and I'm going to take you to this promised land. He wasn't just taking them to this deserted, um, rocky, awful place in which they were just going to have to make a go of it. They say in California that if you want to, excuse me, if you want to make a, uh, a go of a winery, that it will take you 15 to 18 years for it to be profitable. That you have to go in, you have to get the land, you have to work the land, then you have to plant the grapes. The first year that you get some, you really don't want to pick them. Um, then it has to go in the next year and then have to get the juice out and then ferment it. And then it takes 15 to 18 years to be profitable if you want to own a winery. God said, I'm taking you to a promised land and it's flowing with milk and honey. This is an amazing, great place that I'm taking you to. And we see that when uh, the 12 spies went in, the evidence that they brought back themselves showed us that God was giving them a fully planted vineyard. He was giving them a land that was ready to be productive and it was ready to go. All the planting had already been done. And he was ready. They were ready to move in, move in, ready to get going. <clears throat> now, how many of you remember your first apartment the first place you lived in? <clears throat> My friend and I. Sorry, I got something in here, but I'll get it up eventually. Um, well, careful on the front row. <clears throat> um, I had to make you laugh so I could clear my throat again. Um, my friend and I, we graduated college. We had our first job. He was working three jobs. I should have been working three jobs. I was working one. And we found this place and it was real cheap and it was um, fully uh, furnished. Yeah, that's danger right there in Johnson City, Tennessee. And uh, this place was a pit, you know, I mean, supposed to be move in ready, you know, couch, mattress, never move into a place. that's already got a mattress for you. Right? <laughs> but I was 21 years old. What did I know? Right. But move in ready. Yeah? And we all know what move in ready really looks like and move in ready what we really picture it. God had prepared for them a fully planted vineyard. This was ready for you to be my people, the people that glorify and worship me as God. This is the place that's ready for you. So they had this fully planted vineyard. Next, we see that it was a fully protected vineyard. He said right here, a man planted a vineyard. He put a fence around it, dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower. So we had this fence that was around the crops to keep everything in that needed to be in and out the little critters that didn't need to come in. As well as built a watchtower for you to be able to see in the distance if enemies were coming. Right now, my wife is a pretty calm, nice, pleasant lady. For those of you that have met her, you know that. But uh, if you really want to get under her skin, just mention the rabbits of 1225 Spring Lake Drive in Brownsburg, Indiana. We lived on a corner plot. Right. And uh, thanks, Mike. <laughs> Distress. Here he comes. We lived on this corner plot and our plot backed up into this open field. And in this open field, apparently, there lived 10,000 bunnies. And uh, like I said, my wife's not a violent woman, but if she had had a gun, I think she would have nuked. She would have taken out every bunny she could find. <clears throat> and um, we had these bunnies. And so she would plant these flowers every year because she has a green thumb and likes to do that kind of thing. And every day these bunnies would come out and they would just eat her flowers and go back out. And like I said, if we had a gun, she probably would have taken out a bunch with her. Um, but we weren't protecting them from those bunnies that would come in. And we didn't do that because she's like, well, it'll look all ugly with all the fencing and things. I'm like, well, it looks ugly now because the bunnies have eaten all the flowers. I don't know what to tell you. Right. 
But God's planted a vineyard and he also protected it. He said, I'm going to put a protection around it. And in fact, I'm going to put a watchtower in the middle of it so that not only do you see the immediate danger, but you can even see the danger coming from miles away. And this watchtower is a place that you can climb up and you can look and you can see for miles to come. Right. How many of you have ever been on a scenic lookout or maybe the, the Sears Tower of Chicago or just went out one of those places and just looked and you could just see for miles, five states away or whatever, you know, and crazy kind of stuff. With a watchtower that allows you to see if any kind of enemies are approaching from a distance. So you not only are protected from the immediate danger that you have, but you're able to see the things that are coming from afar as well. Right. In the Old Testament, those are prophets. The prophets would warn the people. They'd say, listen, this is what the word of the Lord says. This is coming. You need to prepare for it because you're doing this. God's going to do this. You need to repent and turn from that kind of living or that kind of thought process. So we see that God gave them a fully planted, ready to move in vineyard, ready to move in home to be able to grow, be productive, be the people of God that he was calling them to be. And he gave them a fully protected area, a fully protected land where they would not only just have the power of God himself to be able to protect them from their enemies. As we see in Deuteronomy chapter 28, God says, if you do all these things, I'm going to keep your enemies from you. I'm going to destroy them. If you're on my side, if you follow my commands, I'm going to be with you. And he said that to the people of Israel and they all agreed and said, yes, we'll do it. And he gave them this productive vineyard that was fully protected. And we also see in this parable that it was a fully prepared vineyard as well. It says in our scripture that he dug the wine press for him. And so it not only was had the crops already planted, it not only was protected from the inside as well as protected from the outside and the enemies that were coming from far away. But he also said, here, it's already dug for you so that you can do the productive work. You don't even have to dig the hole to squeeze the groups, grapes to let the juice come down and filter it and eventually turn into wine. You don't have to do any of that. It is all prepared for you. Everything you could possibly need is there for you to be my people and to glorify and to worship me as God. And God gave that to him. He said, here you go. This is how much I love you. You can have it all. When we look at our country that we live in, I think it's kind of as a similar situation where God just said, Pilgrims, here you go. It wasn't fully grown yet, fully planted, but there were trees, there were animals, there were things to be able to live on. But in our century today in which we live, we can wake up in the morning and say, well, God has set the table well for us, hasn't he? I mean, he's given us work and land that's productive and animals and things to eat and to grow and to educate and all these things that have been set out before us. And he's given them to us by his grace and his mercy in allowing us to be here. But then let's look at what the Pharisees and what the Israelites really did with it. It says that he leased it to them. They went to another country. When the season has come, he sent a servant to the tenants to get away from them, bring back from them what he owed him. Okay? So when you have a lease agreement, there's always a, I'll give you this and you give me that, right? When I had that awful, nasty apartment in Johnson City, um, I, we had an agreement with the landlord that we would give him X number of dollars and that he would give us a place to live. 
And there's usually a time thing on it as well. How many of you have ever been in a bad lease agreement? I'm the only one. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> ever been in just a bad one that you signed it and you're like, wait a second, what did I just sign up for? Yeah. But we know what a lease agreement is. We lease cars. We lease uh, some people lease and rent their furniture. They rent a piece of equipment. Uh, they rent an apartment, all kinds of different things that we rent. And we know how it works. Right. We sign this piece of paper that says, if you give me this, then I will give you this. And apparently in this analogy, God had an agreement with the Israelites and he said, I'm going to give you this land. And the agreement is that I want production from it. I want fruit from it. I want to see the fruits of your labor. And I want you to hand some over to me when the appointed time comes. You can work it. You can have it. And most of it's yours. It doesn't say he wants all of it. He sent him to get some of the productivity, some of the production from this land. And so he sends his servants to do that. And so we see that while it was a fully planted, a fully protected, fully equipped or greatly equipped vineyard, we see that the Israelites were empty of commitment. They were empty of commitment. And we see that because God sent his messengers to tell them, all right, it's time. Let me see what the production is from this vineyard. And what did they do? They beat the messengers. They weren't even about to turn over anything to God, but instead they beat the messengers and sent them away empty handed. So we see that the Israelites were empty or void of this commitment that they had. God said, you'll be my people. I'll be your God. I'm going to give you this great area, this land that's ready to go. Just turn the key. It'll turn on. It's, it's ready to go. And we see that the Israelites, when the time came for God just to see the productive work for them to live up to their end of the bargain, they sent his messengers away empty handed. So they were empty of commitment. We see in this passage of scripture that they were empty of compassion. God sent messengers to tell them what he wanted of them. He sent messengers to them. And again, we call them prophets. And we said, he said, I want to go see what my people are doing. I want you to report to me what's happening. I want you to bring back, show me what fruit is being produced from this vineyard. And they were beating them. And they had no compassion whatsoever. You know, I think being a prophet was probably one of the toughest, worst, awful jobs in the Old Testament. It probably was kind of cool to have a word from the Lord, right? But some of these guys, I mean, it just wasn't a good life. In 1 Kings 18, it says that Jezebel put a whole bunch of them to death. And we read about Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And some, some of them have their own books that they've written and that are now part of the Old Testament. But there were several others that were put to death because the kings and the queens didn't like what they had to say. We know that Jeremiah was his. They didn't like his prophecy so much that they lowered him into a cistern so that he sunk in the mire. And he didn't have any bread and water for days. And all he did was carry the word from the Lord. They're like, hey, I'm just the messenger, right? We have that phrase that we use, hey, don't kill the messenger. Kind of comes from the prophets. They're like, listen, I'm just telling you what God sent me to tell you about. But we see that the Israelite people were so empty of compassion that God sent his messengers, sent his prophets to give them a word to say, this is where you're off base with our relationship. This is where you're not living up to our commitment as me being your God and you being my people. And you're just beating the people and you're sending them away. In fact, you're killing some of the prophets 
that come to share with you, that come to tell you, that come to see what's happening with what I've blessed you with. And they're absolutely empty of compassion. And at the end, we see that they're empty of conscience as well. They're empty of conscience as well. There's one left that he could send, and it was his only son. And he sent him and said, all right, surely they'll respect, honor, listen to the heir, the sole heir of everything that's mine. And I'll send him to see what's happened. Send him to get the production. Send him to get the fruit of their labors to report. See what's going on down there. And what do they do to his son? But they killed him. No one commentary suggests that when they saw the son coming, that was a message to them saying that the father must be dead. So if we kill the son, we can have all of this for ourselves. And in essence, in disobeying God, the Israelite people basically were saying, we don't want you to be our God anymore. We only want the things that come from you that we like. We want to push away the things that we don't like. And so when the son came, they thought if we kill him, we can have it all to ourselves. And so they're empty of conscience. They're empty of conscience that the own son, the heir of the man that owned it would come. And their only thought was, let's kill him and take this land for ourselves." Israel was given this fully planted, this fully protected, this fully prepared vineyard, this land given to them by God. And what did they do with it? They said, we don't want to listen to you anymore. We got ours. We're good. And in fact, if you send anybody to us to tell us we're doing it wrong, we're not going to like it and we're going to beat them and kill them. And if you send your son, we're going to ignore that it's the son or we're going to take the son out too so that we can have the inheritance for ourselves. And we see that we had this God who was full of mercy and grace, yet a people that were receiving it that were just absolutely empty or void of anything that was good. Now, what's most interesting about this parable is that when Jesus spoke in parables earlier in Mark, if you'll remember, people came away wondering what it was he was talking about. And in fact, even his disciples pulled him aside and said, hey, uh, can you kind of explain that parable to us? Not with this one. If you turn back to Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5, starting in verse 1, reads like this. Let me sing for my beloved, my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it. And he hold out a wine vat in it and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. You see, when Jesus told this parable and the Pharisees were listening to him, it rung true to them because they knew the prophet Isaiah. They knew the writings of Isaiah. So when Jesus said, let me tell you a story. There was this man who owned it all. And in particular, he owned this vineyard and he leased it out to these people. Meaning what? This is not our home. We have a much greater home awaiting for us in eternal life with God, the father in heaven for all of eternity. Right. And he leased it to these people. And it was a beautiful vineyard. 
And he built a watchtower and he dug out the wine press. All of these things are ringing true with these Pharisees that are standing there because they knew the prophet Isaiah. And at the end of our passage of scripture, it said they looked to arrest him because they thought, hmm, maybe he's talking about us. They knew he was talking about them. They knew he was talking about them. And so this parable is ringing true with them because they realize that God has given them all. And what have they done with it? Nothing. Because they have empty hearts. In fact, our passage of scripture goes on to say that you've rejected the builder or you've rejected the cornerstone just as it was written. The father sent the son. He came to collect. He came to see the fruit. He came to see the fruit that you were bearing with what God has blessed you with. And you rejected him. And that cornerstone is that stone that they put between two things that is the stone that if it's taken away, things crumble and fall. It's the stone that wasn't on the heat pile that builders would go through and say, okay, this one's no good. And they threw it in the heat pile. And this one's no good. They throw it away. And this one's no good. And they throw it away. And Israel was doing that with every great and good thing God was sending them through the prophets and now through his only son. And Jesus said, the stone that you guys rejected is going to be the cornerstone. It's going to be the stone where your sin and God come together and that without it, there is no reconciliation. The stone that is being placed right there. The stone that is being placed right there. That's the one that's going to mean that you have access to God once again through the blood of Jesus. We see in our parable that a God that is full, he is greatly full, destroys the greatly empty, and he rewards the greatly full. God in his fullness, in our parable, destroys the greatly empty and rewards the greatly full. This is what's full about God. Yes, he's a God of love and he's a God of mercy and he's a God of grace. But he also is a just God. As much as we hate to admit it, everything that we read in God's word tells us that there is an eternity in hell as well as heaven. And the eternity in hell is going to be for those that were greatly empty because they didn't listen to who God is. They didn't acknowledge Jesus son or God's son when he sent him. When he sent him to show us how to live, when he when he sent him to share with them what it means to be in relationship with God, when he sent him to die on the cross for our sins. If those who have not accepted him as their Lord and Savior, have not accepted him as that cornerstone. There is an eternity for them as well, and it's not in heaven. It's in hell. And it says in our parable that God destroyed. He destroyed. Those that came into this vineyard and didn't listen to the prophets and didn't listen to his son or follow his son, but instead were void of compassion and a conscience and wanted to do their own thing and wanted themselves to be God. But here's the best part of this parable for you and I. It said he's going to destroy and take it away from those that didn't do what they were supposed to. And he's going to give it to others. Look around you. This is who he's given it to. He's given us the church. He's given us the church. He's given us the blessing of a second chance to be his people, to come into this place that is fully equipped, that's fully protected by him, 
that is uh, fully prepared to do ministry, to love, to show mercy, to be the people of God. And we have a choice to make, don't we? Everyone in this world has a choice to make. Will I reject those prophets that come to tell me, to warn me, to share with me? Will I accept Jesus, the son himself that came to die on the cross for my sins and follow him into eternity? Or will I be greatly empty and void? See, what the world wants for us and what Satan wants for us is to be greatly empty. Because when we're empty, we keep looking for things to fill the emptiness. We pursue things of this world because it seems like an immediate fix for this void that we're feeling in our heart. When we're greatly empty, we're told that we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, we're not good looking enough, we don't work hard enough, we don't have enough money, we don't have enough this, we don't have enough that. And we start to believe those lies and we just empty ourselves and empty ourselves of a Savior. But God wants us to be greatly full. And that fullness comes from Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who wants to come into our hearts and into our lives and to plant a fully planted, fully protected fully prepared vineyard in our heart that produces great fruit for all the world to see that Jesus is alive. So the question is this morning, as you get ready for Thanksgiving and you get all the preparations and the turkey and the sweet potatoes and the corn and the rolls and the pumpkin pie and we throw out the verse on gluttony and just get after it. Are you greatly empty Or are you greatly full? And I'm not talking about your waistline. (laughs) Are we grateful for what God has truly given us through Jesus Christ, the son? Are we truly grateful for the vineyard that he's planted inside of us with the fruits of the spirit? And are we allowing them to flourish and to come out of us so that all the world may know that Jesus is alive? If there's something on your heart today that. Maybe a decision that you need to make to follow Jesus. If you believe in God, if you accept that Jesus is a savior, but you've not yet been baptized in a watery grave to walk in a new life. Or if you just need some prayer today, maybe Thanksgiving's coming around and it's just a lonely time for you. I'm going to be at that cross over there as the worship team comes and sings. And I'd be glad to receive you there. Why don't you stand with me and let's sing. Father, we thank you again for this morning and we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the parable that you spoke to those in your presence, especially to the Pharisees. Because, Father, it was a reminder to them that they they had it all, that God had given them everything, fully prepared to do his work and to do his will. Instead, they rejected him. Father, may we read that parable and have the own warning in our own hearts to say, am I grateful? Am I full of God's grace and mercy and love? For those around me, am I accepting and am I grateful to him for what he's given me and granted to me as a child of his? Or have I rejected it? Am I running from it? Lord God, may we be a light that others may see what it means to live and to be full of your mercy and your grace. It's in Jesus name we pray. Amen.